Last week we started um, just a, a sermon series on the eight marks of the church, and it's coming out of what we did last, uh, the end of last year, and leading up to strategic planning with our dream retreat, and and so we're tying all of that in, uh, kind of what we learned through uh, that whole process of uh, the the member membership surveys and uh, the different groups that we had together that met. And so, <clears throat> as I mentioned last week, we're uh, starting with a myth or an urban legend. You know, I shared the one last week about uh, the person in the back seat of the car, right? And, and a car behind them flashing their lights and acting all crazy. Well, we, we want to talk about urban myths that are misguided at best and dangerous at worst. And so this one uh, in England... Um, 999 is like our 911. And so uh, the 999 phone charging myth is an urban legend which claims that calling the police and fire services, then hanging up, will charge your mobile phone battery. Do you see why that's misguided? Have you ever called emergency services with your cell phone and watched the battery just like go up to full? No, it's never happened. And it's dangerous because guess what? All those people in the call center, they have to follow up those phone calls. Whether or not you say anything and you hang up, they still have to follow up. So now they're like, well, where is this person? What's going on? So that's why it can be dangerous because it's like we're wasting the time of the emergency services people and that call center <clears throat> when we're trying to charge our phone. It's a myth. It doesn't work. Go home, plug it into your outlet in the wall <laughs> or do it in your car. But uh, plug it into the, the, you know, the cigarette lighter in your car. But So calling... 911 or 999, if you're in England, is not going to charge your phone. But there are myths, <clears throat> common myths about the church that are misguided at best and dangerous at worst. Last week we talked about one. This week we're going to look at this one. You can believe what you want about Jesus and be a healthy church. That's a myth. We know who Jesus is. And we need to confess who he is as we find in Scripture. And at the conclusion this morning, you're going to hear some... Uh, misguided and even dangerous beliefs about Jesus uh, as we close the message today. But this myth, is, if believed, can be dangerous because it can cause people to think that they know Jesus when they really know, quote-unquote, another Jesus. That's not really him. We all have these ideas, and like I said, we'll see what they are at the end. Some of them are funny, some of them are sad. Second, it can cause a church to be schizophrenic at best and apostate at worst when it comes to Jesus. It can be schizophrenic in the, in the sense that everybody's believing something different about who Jesus is, and it's not all true. And it can be apostate in the fact that it isn't true, some of these uh, myths <clears throat> about who Jesus is, or who he was, what he came to do. All of those can make us schizophrenic or apostate as a church. And so we know that this uh, myth, <clears throat> that this is a myth because Jesus said a clear mark of a healthy church would be a church filled with people who confess correct things about his nature and character. And so last week, we talked about it, how we're going to look, and it's going to be the same uh, structure and format over these uh, eight messages <clears throat> where we're going to look at the son-confessing church and the teachings of Jesus, the teachings of the uh, early church, and the teachings of the apostles. Then we're going to look at a picture, or a, um, uh, I can't think of the word, metaphor. It just slipped my mind. That's like right here in my notes. <clears throat> Thank you, Mark. 
We're a great team. I just want you to know that. I appreciate him. <laughs> so, yeah. So we're going to look at this metaphor, a picture of what this looks like uh, from Revelation. And, and Sue read that passage for us this morning. And then we're going to apply it to our lives. And so as we think about all of that, would you just bow your heads with me this morning as we just commit this passage, uh, this message to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come to you today. And Lord, we want to confess the right things about who Jesus is and what he came to do. And I pray, Lord God, you would guide and direct us as we look at your teaching, Jesus, as we look at the teaching of the early church and we look at the teaching of the apostles. And Lord, I pray that it would just sink deep within our hearts and minds. And Lord, I uh, thank you for uh, how you've already done that with this body of believers, as we'll see in just a little bit. And so, Lord, we commit ourselves to you today. I pray that you would speak through your servant, that your voice would be heard and not mine. And we just commit it to you for your honor and glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> So as we think about this mark, the mark is the son-confessing church and um, <clears throat> the son-confessing church and the teaching of Jesus. We're going to look at John chapter 10, verses 37 to 39. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there. Um, in these eight messages, we're going to have, have you uh, looking through the, the God's Word quite a bit, so um, keep your fingers nimble as we do that today. And so John chapter 10, verses 37 to 39, and this is what God's Word says. Do not believe me unless I do what my Father does. But if I do it, even though you do not believe me, believe the miracles that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. <clears throat> and so this is Jesus and his teaching on confessing him, himself. And so let me give you a little background. Jesus was, has been teaching at the temple area during the Feast of Dedication, and the Jews gather around Jesus and they ask him a question and they make a statement. <clears throat> the question is this, how long will you keep us in suspense? They want to know if he is the Christ. And then that statement is, if you are the Christ, tell us plainly. So that the Jews are there, they're gathering around him in the temple area and they're like, you've been teaching in parables, you've been teaching in, in, in ways and metaphors, and we just don't understand, are you really saying that you're the Christ? If, if you are, just tell us plainly. And so Jesus' response is that, he says, I already told you, but you didn't believe me. I've already told you that I'm the Christ, but you don't want to believe that. And he says, the miracles that he does in his Father's name speak for him. He says, so if you don't believe my words, which you haven't, at least believe the miracles that are going on through the power of the Father, through the power of God. Believe those and know that I am one with God. And so he's confessing this about himself. They didn't believe him because they were not his sheep. Jesus then makes his confession and pleads with the Jews to believe. We see that in verses 37 to 39. He says, just believe. I wish we could have been there to hear Jesus' tone at this point because I would guess that his tone was one of pleading with the Jews to believe. Would you please just believe what I'm telling you? It's true. Just do this. And they're just struggling with that. The challenge that he gives them, he says, don't, don't believe me if I... If I don't do uh, what my father does, then don't believe in me. That's important. This would certainly have been an indication that Jesus was not from God if he wasn't doing the things that God does. He would have been a false prophet or a teacher trying to direct them away from God. So they obviously shouldn't believe in him or follow him at that point. But he says, listen, if you don't believe my words, at least believe the miracles that you see. He does, Jesus doesn't say it directly here, but he's saying to them, even though you don't believe my words, believe the works the miracles from the Father. Borchard says this, Jesus' works were the window into his words. He's like, this is to uh, 
to verify what I'm telling you with my words. So principle one is this. God's people recognize his son through his miracles. If you believe the miracles from the Father, you will understand that the Father is in me and I'm in the Father. Now, interestingly enough, Kostenberger says, coming to understand is presented as the result rather than condition of believing. I think that's so important for us today. Because sometimes we have to take the step of faith without having all of our questions answered, and then we'll be able to understand that Jesus' works prove his words. So often we're like, no, I want God to prove to me that he's real. So that I don't have to take this step of faith on my own. No, I want him to prove to me first. But here we see that, it, that the understanding, the knowledge of who God is and what Jesus, who Jesus is and what he came to do comes as a result of our step of faith to say, I believe in you. I don't, know how, I don't know how this all works. I don't know how it's supposed to happen, but I believe in you. And then the, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us to illumine our minds to the Holy Scriptures. We begin to understand, oh, this is what it's all about. That's the growth process that we go through as believers. That's called sanctification. It's becoming more like Christ. We understand because we have the Holy Spirit that lives within us. And so, you know, don't, don't be like, oh, no, I'm going to wait until God really proves himself to me before I believe in him. No, take the step of faith today to believe in him and then trust that he's going to illumine your mind. He's going you to help you to understand who he is and what he came to earth to do. And that's that growth process. So I want to encourage you with that today. You see, Jesus' works prove his words. Principle two is this, God, or Jesus and God are one. <clears throat> this is something that we have to confess. And even though Jesus is pleading with the Jews to believe in him, they aren't quite ready to take that step yet. Instead, they try to seize Jesus, either to stone him or to arrest him. But Jesus escapes their grasp because it's still not God's timing for him to be put on trial and killed. And so Jesus was confessing that he is the Son of God, that the Father is in him, that he is in the Father. Jesus and God are one. And so what we see from Jesus' teaching is that he is... He is confessing his deity and his exclusive claims about himself. Now, keep in mind those two things, his deity and his exclusive claims, because we're going to come back to those in the application process today. Next, what we see in Acts chapter 2, verses 24 to 36, you can turn there a while, is the son-confessing church and the teaching of the early church. So let me give you a little background, and then we're going to read those, those verses. We saw last week that Acts chapter 2 retells the events that happened during Pentecost in Jerusalem. We know that the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles in power and enabled them to share the gospel in the various languages of the people who had gathered in Jerusalem from, for the Feast of Weeks from all over the Roman Empire. So they're there, and they're all speaking different languages, and the apostles are given the power through the Holy Spirit to speak their language and to share the gospel with them. And then, <clears throat> and he begins to speak. And in verses 24 to 32, we're going to see that Peter explains Jesus' resurrection. So look at those verses with me, if you would. Again, 24 to 32. <clears throat> but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope 
because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will uh, fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. <clears throat> so Peter, here, he, he just confesses Jesus' resurrection. That's another thing that we need to confess. He's confessing his resurrection to the people gathered in Jerusalem. He says, Jesus is alive. He's not dead. He's not still in the grave. And he's the only person who died, was buried, and came alive again and is still alive today. The fact that, that he is still alive today sets him apart from every other prophet, teacher, human being, and little g God. Peter explains that, that David, as a prophet, has died and was buried, and his tomb is still there to this day. He's saying that because he said, if you want to go see David's bones, they're still there. He isn't alive. Jesus is. So Peter and the other apostles were witnesses to Jesus' resurrection. And then in verses 33 to 36, Peter explains Jesus' ascension and current position. Look at those verses with me, if you would. <clears throat> Starting in verse 33. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be uh, assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucify, both Lord and Christ. <clears throat> and so we see this here um, <clears throat> in Peter's teaching about Jesus. He is exalted to the right hand of God. This idea of the footstool came from the, uh, the Orient, where the conqueror would put his foot on the neck of the conquered to show that he had power over him. God made Jesus both Lord, the, the Greek word is kurios, meaning he to whom a person or a thing belongs, and Christ, with the, again, the Greek word is Christos, meaning anointed. So Jesus is this anointed person um, who, who uh, ha has us as his belonging. That God has raised him to that position. He's our Lord and our Christ. Peter is confessing both the, is confessing the deity of Jesus Christ here. And so the teaching of the early church is that Jesus was resurrected by the power of God and is still alive today and that God has made him Lord and Christ. That's the deity that we see here. Finally, what we see is the teaching of the apostles about the son-confessing church. Two passages we're going to look at. The first one is 1 John chapter 4, verses 2 to 3. <clears throat> so again, if you have your Bibles, if you'll flip back to there. 1 John chapter 4, <clears throat> verses 2 to 3. And this is the teaching of the apostle John. Look at the words that he writes. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. <clears throat> and so we see the apostles confessing who Jesus is here. 
John's helping believers everywhere to know how to discern where, uh, whether a spirit is from God or not. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ is from God. Here we see that the confession or acknowledgement is that Jesus came in the flesh. This speaks of his humanity. This is another thing that we have to confess as followers of Jesus Christ. John mentions it again in his second letter <clears throat> uh, in verse 7. He says, Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the Antichrist. So we see here, John's like, listen, this is how you tell if these spirits are real or not, if they're from God or not, is whether or not they confess that Jesus came in the flesh. Now, what Paul does, the Apostle Paul, he teaches, and you'll need to flip back then to Philippians chapter 2. <clears throat> this is one of my favorite passages in the New Testament, is Philippians chapter 2. But verses 5 to 11 Paul is going to teach us that, that Jesus is God, that he's deity. So let's look at those verses together. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, took the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross." Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. <laughs> what an incredible passage. <clears throat> so what we see here is in verses uh, 6 and 11, Paul teaches us that Jesus is God, that he's deity. In verse 6, he says, being in very nature God. And then in verse 11, Jesus Christ is Lord. He's deity. He also teaches us in verses 7 and 8 that Jesus was human. He said, you know, came in the likeness of man he, and being found in appearance as a man. He was a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. We also learn about Jesus' substitutionary death in verse 8. And the apostles' confession is that Jesus is both God and man and that he died on a cross to take our punishment for sin. We have the teachings of Jesus, the early church, and the apostles about this mark, but we also have a picture found in Revelation. <clears throat> I'm going to read a few more verses than what Sue read today. But again, if you turn to Revelation <clears throat> chapter 19, <clears throat> look at verses 6 to 10, we see this picture, this metaphor of the uh, son confessing. So Revelation 19, verses 6 to <clears throat> 10. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. At this I fell at his feet to worship, but he said to me, do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and, you, and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. <clears throat> so we see the testimony or the confession here again of Jesus this is the end of human history, but it's also the hope of every believer. 
that Jesus is the lamb, he's the bridegroom. We are, the, as disciples, are his bride. And the hope of every believer and follower of Jesus Christ is to be invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. That means we're united to him. We're a part of who he is. Matt Kaiser puts it this way. As the bridegroom, Jesus has confessed his love for us and union with us. And as the bride, we likewise confess our love for him and union with him. He has intimate knowledge of us, who we really are. And we have intimate knowledge of him, who he really is. He has that knowledge because he's all-knowing. We have that knowledge because we have his word. We can refer to we know who Jesus is, who he really is. So how does this apply to us? How will we know if this mark of the church marks our church? There's quite a few today. This is uh, the application part that I was telling you about to, to uh, just keep in mind some of those words. First, we will have intimate knowledge of and confess the deity of Jesus. We see it in John chapter 1, uh, verses 1 to 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It was with, uh, he was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we will confess that Jesus is fully God. He's not just another prophet, teacher, or a good human being. He is God. We have to confess that. The second thing is that we, ha we will have an intimate knowledge of and confess the humanity of Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 14 says, the word became flesh. You notice that the the word, word, is capitalized. It's talking about Jesus. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And while it may be difficult for our finite human minds to comprehend this, that he's both God and man, Jesus is fully man. He's fully God, 100%. He's fully man, 100%. And yet he's one person. Um, Paul writes to the Colossian believers in chapter 2, verse 9, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. So he's fully God. Luke chapter 24, verse 39, we see his humanity here. Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. We see that Jesus is both God and man. 100% both of those in one person. And as human beings, we uh, do not have to understand how Jesus can be fully God and fully man at the same time. We just have to believe. We have to have faith. That's what Scripture tells us. Third, we will have intimate knowledge of and confess the sinless life of Jesus. We see that in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Then uh, Paul, writing to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We don't have any righteousness in and of ourselves. It comes only through Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. He was perfect without sin. He's the only one that could take our punishment on the cross because he was perfect. He'd never given in to sin. He was tempted like we were, but he never gave in. And we are human and fallible. Jesus is God and man and perfect. Number four, we will have intimate knowledge of and will confess the substitutionary death of Jesus. Peter writing in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says this, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might uh, die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. 
Hebrews chapter 9, verses 26 to 28 say this, But now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Jesus, this is his substitutionary death for us on the cross. The prophet Isaiah Way back, prophesying about Jesus. He says in Isaiah 53, 5, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Aren't you grateful for that? Jesus' perfect sacrifice brings us life. We're healed. Number five, we will have intimate knowledge of and confess the resurrection of Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 to 8. I love this passage of Scripture. Paul, writing to the Corinthian believers, says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. So we know that he appeared to Paul. But I love this fact. Paul is saying, hey, he, he, he died and was buried according to the Scriptures. This was foretold prophecy. And then he came alive again on the third day according to the Scriptures. Jesus fulfilled prophecy. So Jesus' resurrection is what sets him apart from everyone else. He is still alive today, interceding for us before the Father. Number six, we will have intimate knowledge of and confess the exclusive claims of Jesus. As we see in Hebrews 4, 15, Jesus answered, I am the way, I'm sorry, John 14, 6. Um, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There are those in our culture today that want everyone to believe that there are multiple ways to heaven, and since God is loving, he's going to allow everyone to go to heaven. That's not true because of this thing that we must confess, these exclusive claims of Jesus. The old saying is that all roads lead to heaven. That statement's false. <clears throat> I would modify it to say that all roads lead to God. And here's why. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. We're all going to stand before God someday. We're not all going to live in heaven. Paul, writing to the Roman believers in chapter 14, verses 10 to 12, tells us this. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written... As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess God, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. I find that fascinating. The people that have, that have uh, cursed God, spoken against him, are going to recognize him someday. They're going to confess him as God, not as a cuss word but in full recognition of who he is. Matthew writes in his gospel, chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? 
wow, they were doing all those things. But this is what he says, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus. They didn't believe his, his exclusive claims that he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then later on in Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 46, I'm not going to read all that for you today, but it's during the final judgment, all the nations will appear before Jesus and he will separate the people like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And Jesus is the only way to heaven and the Father. And we have to confess the exclusive claims of Jesus. Our desire as a body of believers, as a leadership of this church, is to have a church filled with people who confess correct things about Jesus' nature and character. Now, here's the exciting thing. From the surveys that we had you do with the Restored Renewal Ministries, four of the five questions from the Sun Confessing Church section of the survey were in the top ten of the least difficult for us as a church. Now, what that means, and this is encouraging, it means that these are things that we readily believe and embrace as a body of believers. These are the least difficult for us. We're like, yes, we believe these things about Jesus. We are a Sun Confessing Church. That's great. And we believe that with all of our being. I want to read those questions <clears throat> for you. And the three of them were the top three uh, that were least difficult for us. And so I'll read them in, in the order. <clears throat> the people in our church believe that Jesus is the unique Son of God, fully God and fully man, and the way, the truth, and the life, no one coming into, the rela- into a relationship with the Father but through him. That was one of ten. Two of ten was, I hear the name of Jesus consistently in sermons, teaching content, small groups, and interpersonal conversations in our church. Three of ten, our church consistently teaches on the person and work of Jesus on the cross, connecting the truth of the gospel with any particular passage or theme. Six of ten, the leaders in our church consistently and publicly point to Jesus as the head and primary leader of our church. And then in the top twelve is all five of them. So this is why I'm saying I'm, I'm encouraged by this. It is obvious that love for and obedience to Jesus is the reason our church exists. Now, I want to give you an encouragement and a challenge as we apply this to ourselves today. If you believe and it is a settled fact in your heart and mind that Jesus is fully God and fully man, that he lived a sinless life and gave his life on the cross for you, that God raised him from the dead and is still alive today, and that he is the only way to heaven and the Father is through a personal relationship with Jesus, then I want to encourage you to continue in that faith. I want to encourage you today. Keep that up. That's exactly where we need to be as a son-confessing church. But these are the truths of Jesus that the world needs to hear as well. We've been called and commissioned to confess these truths where we live, work, learn, and play. And so my challenge then for you is this, is to maybe take this first next step on the back of your communication card today, and that's to commit to confessing the truths about Jesus to my family, friends, fellow students, and coworkers. That's what we've been commissioned and called to do. And we are a son-confessing church, so let's get to it. Let's not hold back. Let's share with those around us these incredible truths. Now, here's another challenge, though. If you are struggling in your heart and mind about any of these truths that we talked about today, that Jesus is fully God and fully man, that he lived a sinless life and gave his life on the cross for you, that God raised him from the dead and and he is still alive today, and that the only way to heaven and the Father is through a personal relationship with Jesus, then I want to challenge you to do a couple of things. If you're struggling with any of those today, if any of those are not settled in your heart and mind as truths that you hold to fast and hard, If you're struggling with any of those, first thing I want you to do is just cry out to God. Pray and seek the Lord's face concerning the truths that you're struggling with. 
These are important. This is, all, this is what it means to be a follower of Christ, to confess all of these things without hesitancy. Second, I want you to spend time reading the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and ask the Lord to make these truths evident to you through his word. So prayer, reading his word. Finally, I want you to reach out to Pastor Mark or myself or another fellow believer so we can walk alongside you as you pray and read God's word because accountability is so important. Don't do it alone. So maybe you're ready to take that second next step today, and that's to commit to praying, reading God's word, and reaching out to other believers concerning the truths of who Jesus is and what he came to earth to accomplish. I want that to be a settled fact in your hearts and minds. I want you to be able to say with confidence that you confess every one of those things that we talked about today. Now, as leadership, going from our dream retreat, some of the vision things that we have, the core values, you see them in the front of your bulletin today. It's on the very front page, the six core values, but two of those I want to highlight today. We are a church that reaches out, spreading God's word, God's glory, and God's promises to those who do not know him. That is what it means to be a son-confessing church. We're doing those things. We're sharing the gospel with those that we come in contact with, <clears throat> where we uh, live, work, learn, and play. The a second one I want to highlight on those core values is our leadership strives to be led more by Jesus, to lead more like Jesus, so we can lead more to Jesus. Again, that's being a son-confessing church. Under our goals, One of our annual goals for 2022 is to have a 10% increase in the number of people attending Sunday school and or discipleship groups. That's where they're going to hear what we're confessing about who Jesus is and what he came to this earth to do is through those uh, small groups of people gathering together. And then another annual goal is to have 10% increase in the pursuit of holiness as evidenced through salvations, baptisms, and accountability. Boy, if we are confessing Jesus as all of these things, we're going to see people come to know Jesus Christ. They're going to be pursuing holiness in their lives. They're going to pursue baptism, and we're going to be willing to be held accountable. Now, I told you I was going to share some other Jesus uh, beliefs of who Jesus is. I want to do that as we conclude this morning. This comes from Kevin DeYoung. He says, the, greatest, the greatness of God is most clearly displayed in his Son, and the glory of the gospel is only made evident in his Son. That's why Jesus' questions to his disciples in Matthew chapter 16 is so important. Who do you say that I am? The, que- the question is doubly crucial in our day because no one is as popular in the U.S. as Jesus, and not every Jesus is the real Jesus. So here's the list. You ready? Hold on to your hats. There's the Republican Jesus who was against tax increases and activist judges for family values and owning firearms. Some of you are going, that's my Jesus right there. (laughs) There's Democrat Jesus, who was against Wall Street and Walmart for reducing our carbon footprint and printing money. There's the therapist Jesus, who helps us cope with life's problems, heals our past, tells us how valuable we are and not to be so hard on ourselves. There's Starbucks Jesus, who drinks fair trade coffee, loves spiritual conversations, drives a hybrid, and goes to film festivals. Uh, Judy and I have two hybrids, by the way. <clears throat> but we don't drink Starbucks, anyhow. There's open-minded Jesus, who loves everyone all the time, no matter what, except for people who are not as open-minded as you. Isn't that funny? There's touchdown Jesus, who helps... This is good for, you know, in a couple of weeks from now. Who helps athletes run faster and jump higher than non-Christians and determines the outcomes of Super Bowls. 
There's martyr Jesus, a good man who died a cruel death so we can feel sorry for him. There's gentle Jesus, who was meek and mild with high cheekbones, flowing hair, and walks around barefoot wearing a sash while looking very German. There's hippie Jesus, who teaches everyone to give peace a chance, imagines a world without religion, and helps us remember that all you need is love. There's yuppie Jesus, who encourages us to reach our full potential, reach for the stars, and buy a boat. (laughs) There's spirituality Jesus, who hates religion, churches, pastors, priests, and doctrine, and would rather have people out in nature finding the quote-unquote God within while listening to ambiguously spiritual music. There's platitude Jesus, good for Christmas uh, specials, greeting cards, and uh, bad sermons inspiring people to believe in themselves. There's revolutionary Jesus who teaches us to rebel against the status quo, stick it to the man, and blame things on the quote-unquote system. There's guru Jesus, a wise, inspirational teacher who believes in you and helps you find your center. There's boyfriend Jesus who wraps his arms around you as we sing about his intoxicating love in our secret place. There's good example Jesus who shows you how to help people change the planet and become a better you. And then there's Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, not just another prophet, not just another rabbi, not just another wonder worker. He was the one they had been waiting for, the son of David and Abraham's chosen seed, the one to deliver us from captivity, the goal of the Mosaic law, Yahweh in the flesh, the one who is... uh, the one, to, uh, the one to establish God's reign and rule, the one to heal the sick, give sight to the blind, freedom to the prisoners, and proclaim good news to the poor, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. This Jesus was the creator come to earth and the beginning of a new creation. He embodied the covenant, fulfilled the commandments, and reversed the curse. This Jesus is the Christ that God spoke of to the serpent, Uh, The Christ prefigured to Noah in the flood. The Christ promised to Abraham. The Christ prophesied through Balaam before the Moabites. The Christ guaranteed to Moses before he died. The Christ promised to David when he was king. The Christ revealed to Isaiah as a suffering servant. The Christ predicted through the prophets and prepared for through John the Baptist. This Christ is not a reflection of the current mood or the projection of our own desires. He is our Lord and God. He is the Father's Son. Savior of the world, and substitute for our sins. More loving, more holy, and more wonderfully terrifying than we ever thought possible. That's the Jesus I want to make sure that I'm confessing. And I hope that you want to confess as well. And so, as you let that sink in today... Uh, would you just bow your heads with me as the worship team prepares to come to, or I'm sorry, if Roxy comes, <laughs> to lead us in the closing song. Lord, I just come to you today. I just thank you for your son, Jesus. That, Lord, he, was, he is God and man. That he has exclusive claims. Lord God, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. That he is resurrected and he's still alive today. Lord God, uh, so many things that he was, and I pray, Lord God, that we would confess those and nothing else today. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just work by your Holy Spirit in each heart and mind and that you would do the work that only you can do. Give us boldness to confess 
Jesus before those that we live with, work with, learn with, and play with. And we just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.